Bokar Tov, we continue chapter 15 of Melachim Bet. The chapter opened up with the king of Yehuda named Azariah or Uziah, and he was a good king. As usual, he did not get rid of the Bamot, which was his issue, which was the issue of most of the good kings of Yehuda. But he did what, did what was good in the eyes of Hashem, exactly as Amatziah, his father, did as well. And he ended up getting Mitzorah, and he had to go into the Beta Chofshit. We read the interesting Radak slash Midrash about why it's called the House of Freedom, because being a king of Israel is more servitude than it is uh, luxury. And the rest of his matters are written in the book of Dibrei Amim, and he, and he rested with his fathers. They buried him in uh, Ir David, in the city of David, and Yotam, his son, reigned in his stead. Now we're going we're gonna to move away from Yotam and get back to Yotam a little bit later. Yeah, Yotam is uh, next in line in the kingdom of Yehuda. But now we're going to go back to the kingdom of Israel, where I would say chapter 15 is where things start to unravel. Uh, it's the chapter of the coup, we'll call it, because there are going to be many, many coups in this chapter. Things are not going to go well. Any attempt, they're all bad kings. They're all kings that are, that are, they are not unlike Yehu, who was eradicating the previous line of kings in the name of God, in a way. And he was doing a mitzvah, and then he, he, had, he was consciously doing a mitzvah with his attempts to kill a family of Omri and Achav, and he was fulfilling a nevuah. All of these people that we're going to see in chapter 15 are people that are, that are um, vying for power for power's sake. Which is obviously never a good sign. Okay, pasuk chet. Bishnah shaloshim ushmonesh anal asariyah melech Yehuda malach zechariyah ben Yarovam al Israel b'shomron shachodashim. Okay, Zechariah, son of Yarovam the second, reigns over Israel for only six months. Did not deviate from the sins of Yarovam ben Nevat to cause Israel to sin. This is referring to the first Yarovam ben Nevat, even though the second Yarovam ben Nevat was also very bad. Okay, he did not deviate from the sins of Yarovam ben Nevat the first that caused Israel to sin. Okay, that's Zechariah. In the six months, he did not uh, change anything for the better. Then Shalom, son of Yavish, as we see here, is he then uh, stages a coup, a, a violent coup against him, and he kills him in front of the people. Kabul Am, meaning like a, a, in front of the people, and he kills him, and he, Shalom, reigns in his stead. Okay? Pazog Yud Aleph, Beyeter Divrei Zechariah, Hinam Ketuvim al Sefer Divrei Yum al Israel. And the rest of the matters of Zechariah are written in the book of Divrei Yamim of the kings of Israel. And this was the matter that was told to Yehu, saying that you're going to have four generations after you on the throne in Israel, and so it was. Meaning, the lines of Yehu did not have any merit to sit on the throne. But out of deference to Yehu, who was decently good, Borei Olam fulfilled his word, where he told him you're going to have four generations on the throne. So you have Yehoahaz, Yehoash, Yarovam the second, and then Zechariah. That's your four generations after Yehu, all from the line of Yehu. And Zechariah was there kind of like just to, for Borei Olam almost to be Yotze, to fulfill his obligation to Yehu. But then, you know, he's quickly killed by Shalom ben Yavesh, and he's done with. Okay, Pasukit Gemu. Shalom ben Yavesh Malach Bishnah Shaloshim Vatesha Shanalu Uziah Melech Yehuda Vayimloch Yerach Yamim Meshomeron. 
Shalom ben Yavesh reigned in the 39th year of Uziel, king of Yehuda. But he only reigned for one month. That was Shalom's uh, reign. And Menachem, son of Gadi, from Tirzah, came to Shomron and he struck Shalom and he killed him and he reigned in his stead. So now we have this guy, Menachem. Okay? Menachem kills Shalom. Good? Pasuk mm-hmm. Tetvav. And the rest of the matters of Shalom and his rebellion that he staged against the Zechariah. They are written in the book of Divirayamim of the kings of Israel. Okay. Difficult Pasuk. Then Menachem struck the city of Tifsach. According to the Mepharshim, Tifsach is a city on the eastern side of the Jordan River. It is a place that belongs to Aram. Okay. It was opposite the city of Tirzah. Okay, so he went from Tirzah and he struck Tifsach. Tifsach is an Aramean city and Tirzah is a Jewish city. So he goes from Tirzah, Menachem does, he goes from Tirzah to Tifsach. I'm reading Radak. Was the city that Menachem was from. So Menachem had like nostalgia. He is from Tirzah and he remembers that there's this Aramean city Tifsach opposite Tirzah. So it's like, okay, I need to take it over. Okay. And Menachem came to do war against Tifsach. First, he offered them peace. And he said, look, you want to be my slaves? You could be my slaves. And I won't kill you. And then, But the people did not open up to him and say, okay, we're going to be your slaves. So what did Menachem do? And he struck. And therefore, because they did not open up to him and become slaves to Menachem, he struck them from Tirzah. From the border of Tirzah, he went towards Tifzah. Uh, and then all the pregnant women he he killed. I mean, he like do, do punctured. See, do you see anything there about there's like a halacha that they violated? Well, it actually seems like he's, he's in general a Jewish king in the lands that Boreolam promised to Israel, where the seven Canaanite nations are you have to first offer peace before you attack. Mm-hmm. And your offering of peace is first, you can have peace so long as you, are, you remain a peaceful people who show allegiance to the God of Israel and do not uh, you know, rebel against the God of Israel, right? And if they do not accept peace and they call out in war and they say we're ready for war, then you could go out and attack them, okay? So that would be the rule with the seven nations. The problem is that Aram, I don't think, is one of the seven nations. No, it's outside of Israel's borders. So, and I don't know if this is even part of that. I think it seems like based on the Midrash. This, this footnote saying that um, uh, he demanded that it submit to its authority and become a vassal city of his kingdom, but the ruler of Tifshah Tifsa, Tifsa, yeah. refused to open the gates and let him enter. Um, 
so he, he attacked the city and it was an yeah. unjust atrocity. But then alternatively, there's a, it says the Lacha requires that when a city is besieged, it should be surrounded only by three sides so that non-combatants can escape. One can escape, yeah. According to Rambam. And he did not leave, and then according to Rabim, he did not leave an opening for the escapes because he wanted to kill everyone there. And that's how he ended up killing all the pregnant women. Yes, that's what that's what this says. Okay, so like, there's some there's some uh, inkling of Jewish law in it, but it's, it doesn't seem to be a just war at all. Yeah, it seems according to the midrash, especially, it seems like he had some childhood nostalgia from being a Tirzah person. Mm-hmm. He's like, I want to conquer Tifsah, and he goes from Tirzah to Tifsah. He attacks Aram for no reason. Demands that they become a vassal state to him. They say no, and then he ends up killing the pregnant women when he should have opened up a side. According to Halakha, he should have not. He should have let the non-combatants go. Exactly. By the way, um, very important nuance in understanding the Halakha. When we, when Am Israel historically engaged in war, what was the symbol of victory? How do you know that you won? You conquer the land. You conquer the land. Okay, so. The halakha that says that you, whenever you lay siege to an area, you have to give an opening to let one side leave. That's because ultimately Am Israel has no interest in killing the civilians so long as it wins the war, which is by conquering the land. Yes. Right? So there have been attempts to say that, well, this is why halakhically they have to leave like a side of Gaza open so that non-combatants can leave. Right now, but right. the difference... And I don't know what the answer is halakhically, what, what, how the war in Gaza is to be waged. Mm-hmm. But the difference is that in, in Gaza, we're not, I mean, as of now, the military is not trying to conquer any land. The military is not trying to conquer and settle land and, and to yeah. assimilate it into the lands of Eretz Israel. The goal is to destroy the enemy. Now, if not laying siege is, is not going to allow you to destroy the enemy, then I'm not exactly sure the halakha applies. Meaning if, if your, con- your, your goal is to conquer the land, then of course you leave a side of the siege open because if the, people, if the civilians run away from the city... that winning is conquering the land? I guess so. I don't know. Like I don't know. I'm just, saying, of... I'm just saying because people have tried to use that. Mm-hmm. Um, there has been even... There was once like a... Like a, one of the chief rabbis of Israel like commented on one of the... I think it was the Lebanon war. That he's like, no, you're not allowed to lay siege to Beirut because you have to leave one side of it open. And he took this super, lit- meaning he took the halakha face value. Like, like yeah, you, anytime a Jew, no matter where, even if we're fighting in China, if we lay siege, you have to leave one side open. Now the question is, if in the case where the halakha is described, leaving one side of the thing open for civilians to escape doesn't only not get in the way of your victory, it even helps it, because now the civilians all leave, so there's, the population is diluted, and then you can just overrun the city and take the city, which is your goal. Mm-hmm. Now what happens, so in that case, the halakha doesn't get in the way of victory at all. Now what happens if the halakha completely makes victory impossible? Like, you cannot get to the, your enemies, if victory is to destroy your enemies but not take the land, and you can't get to your enemies without the help of the civilian population pushing them out mm-hmm. or without starving them so that they can come out and surrender, mm-hmm. then does the halakha still apply? It's a, very, it's a very interesting question. We were discussing it on our trip with the Red Maruf. Like, how do you compare that? 
Is this a hot topic right now? Like, are people talking no, about it? No, it's not. But it, wa- it has been brought up. I mean, it's, it's a Jewish style of waging war to yeah. always never lay a debilitating siege that the civilians will all just die. But the question is, what happens? Is that halakha, does that apply to the way we've been waging war nowadays in which we are not actually pursuing territory? Because mm-hmm. if you're not pursuing territory and you can't lay siege, then it becomes very hard to achieve your military objective. Yeah. And while the halakha was stated in a sense in which the siege does not get in the way of your military objectives, does it still apply when it completely voids your military objectives? Like the only reason this war is taking so long is because we have humanitarian aid going in and Hamas is taking all of it. Mm-hmm. Right? So if we did not do that and we were to violate quote-unquote this halakha, then this war would have been over two months ago. So the question is, does halakha still apply in that case? It's a very, very interesting topic. I don't know the answer to it. I, I, you know, I, I'm sure there are some rabbis that would say, no, this is apples and oranges. And I'm assuming there are some that would say, no, halakha is halakha. You have to, you have to keep it. Okay. Very interesting topic, though. Um, but here, Menachem against the city of Tifsach does not, uh, tra- does not deal nicely with the civilians. And he ends up killing all the pregnant ladies as well. Hold on. Sorry, I, 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 skipped, I skipped a page. Uh, okay. Bishnah Shoshim Shana, Shoshim Vatesha Shana Yazarem Melech Yudam, Malach Menachem Bet Gadiel Israel, Esser Shanim. So after Menachem. Right, that's what we're up to, right? Yeah, you skipped over like four kings, maybe. No, I'm kidding. Go, go, go. No, no, that. Went back. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, Menachem struck Tifsach, and he, was, he became king for 10 years. Did not deviate from the sins of Yaravam and Nevat all of his days. Now, full king of Ashur comes. Now, before, who were the enemies that Am Yisrael have been dealing with before? Aram and, and Edom, right? It was Aram and Edom. These are, Aram and Edom are local kings. Ashur is an empire. Ashur is a massive empire. So now, things are about to get serious because Ashur is ultimately going to be the nation that, that um, exiles the ten tribes, okay? So, like, dealing with Aram and Edom and even, like, Mitzrayim is child play relative to the big empires that come and make themselves, uh, their presence felt in Israel. That's going to be the Assyrian Empire and the Persian Empire and the Babylonian Empire. Or Babylonian and the Persian Empire. Okay? So... This is not good news. So those empires are thriving right now, far from Israel. Well, no, there's only one. Em- they, these empires uh, replace no, one another. One. The wa- one. Wait, this, the Syrian Empire turns into the... The Syrian Empire gets conquered by the Babylonian Empire, the and then it gets conquered by, by the Persian, Persian Empire. Empire. Yeah. So, so the Syrian Empire is on the... It's, it's clearly that, on the ascendant right now. But that's like the main world power right now? It's going to be. I don't know where they are in oh, their okay. growth, okay. but as they grow and they become ascendant, swallowing up Israel is going to become one of... It's going to be one of the outcomes, okay? So, Ba'fu'l melech ha'shul ha'aretz va'yitel menachem lefu'l elav ki karkesef liot yadav itol lehazik ha'mamlacha b'yado. And Menachem says, okay, perfect. Ashur is a strong nation. Let's say it's like the United States to Israel. And then he says, let me give you 1,000 uh, bars of silver so that Ashur will support Menachem and will strengthen the kingdom in Menachem's hand. That's Menachem's uh, is, is, uh, goal here. And Menachem brings it upon Israel 
and he pushes all of the men of valor to give to the king of Ashur 50 silver um, uh, pieces for, per person. But what happened? Does the king of Ashur remain there and support him and uh, help the king uh, Menachem? No. King Ashur goes back and he does not stay there in the land. Now that could be, there's two interpretations. Either that's a good thing, that Ashur leaves, yeah. or that's exactly the opposite of what Menachem was hoping for. Menachem was, wanted him to stay and help be a supportive country to his kingdom. Mm-hmm. And then he pays the money and Ashur just leaves and leaves him for the dogs. Okay? So I don't know which one is Peshat. I don't know. Do you have a, does it say? Um, Radak says like what I said, the second one. And he did not protect them from, an, from another enemy. Okay, I like that interpretation more. It's almost like what, it feels like what the, uh, our relationship with yeah. the United States. You know, saying that he just like he was expecting him to stay around and help him out or give him some type of support with that tax right. money, and, and they didn't. And he didn't stick and around. He just left, and that, uh, right. Okay, that goes to show you where the yeah, Goyim's allegiance is typically. Yeah. They're, uh, they're interested in their self-interest and above all else. And Am Israel very often thinks people are actually care He's for us. He's expecting to leave like a force there to help protect him. Right, and, and, and he just leaves. They take the money and he goes. And the rest of Menachem's matter, they're written in the book of the king of Israel. And then Pekachiyahu reigns in Menachem's stead. Okay, so we're getting to the end of the kings of Israel. Uh, we'll see, Bezer Hashem, what happens at Pekach Yahu tomorrow on Pasuk 23. Baruch Adonai Lulam. Amen. Amen.